Good morning, West Falls. In September of uh, 08, uh, men got together and we were doing a study on discovering your spiritual gifts. Any of you ever done that? Some of you? Well, it's about 180 questions they put you through. This whole battery of things to try to find out maybe where God is leading you in your gifts. And uh, after a couple hours of taking this test, I began to look at uh, the results. And, you know, after you plot it on a graph, you end up these four quadrants of where your strength is at and where your weaknesses are at. And I went to one of the brothers and I said, I don't think this thing's working right. Um, Look, it shows me mercy and grace in my life. Uh, It's almost non-existent. I don't don't even show up on the chart. And he said, it's working right. (laughs) In fact, I was out uh, shoveling some uh, snow uh, a week or so ago, and a brother came up to me and says, here, Paul, let me help you with that. So he took the shovel out of my hand, literally, and he began to shovel the snow for me. And I said, I really appreciate that. Thank you. He said, "Uh, what are you going to be teaching on? I said, mercy and grace. He said, really? Um, hmm. You know, I will tell you, Paul, I'm going to be honest with you. When I need someone to cry on their shoulder and someone to comfort me, I don't think of you. (laughs) And and wouldn't you know it, in September of this year, I find myself in the hospital, and uh, they're working on me, uh, an operation. And I don't know if any of you have ever been into the St. Joe's Hospital, but that place from top to bottom, from the neurosurgeon down to the lady that opened the door to let me go home. They are covered in grace. That is their spiritual gift there. I didn't find one person that was not full of grace. And it just pointed it out even more so how little I had in my life. Uh, I'm ashamed to tell you, there's just not a lot of grace and mercy in my life. And God has convicted me of that. In fact, two or three of my family members, they said, Uncle Paul, what are you speaking on? I said, grace. And uh, Graham said, really? <laughs> it's, uh, but I am, I am confident of this. The Lord is not finished with us. And he's going to uh, build us in a way of Christ's image. And I think grace in my life, he's pointed it out. And I'm so prayerful about it. So why do we need grace? Uh, because we work together and we love one another. We need to cut each other some slack periodically. And uh, I'm like that doctor. The, the doctor said, Doctor, it hurts when, when I do this. And he says, don't do that. And to the men, they say, you know, I'm really hurting. I'm struggling here. I just said, well, stop doing that. Uh, uh, they said, that's it? That's all. I know that. <laughs> so let's get this over with. Even the best of us fail. Uh, no matter what your pedigree, no matter what your social standing, uh, no matter how talented you are, no matter how gifted you are, uh, everything fails. Failure is not a respecter of persons. Failure is part of the world that we live in. That's why we need grace and mercy for each other. Uh, products fail. Businesses fail. Uh, cell phone coverage fails. Uh, even our football team with a three-game lead and three games left in the season... Well, that's another subject. Everything fails. Uh, It's part of it. And if you don't have enough failure in your life, uh, Americans uh, are studying failure more than anyone. Did you know the top ten cities in in the world that study failure, the issue of failure, are all found right here in the good old U.S. of A. And Denver, Colorado rounds out the top ten. We study failure. In fact, if you haven't got enough failure in your life, 
There's a failure magazine that's online. I mean, you can literally go there and get another dose of failure if you don't have enough. It's amazing. Now, we fail at tests. Uh, we fail uh, at, at sports. We even fail calculus. I mean, there's not a person here in here that doesn't fail at something. Now, it's the American way, what we do when we fail, what do we tend to do? We get up, we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, we get back on that bike or that horse or whatever that thing is that you ride, and we just kind of move on down the road. Isn't that it? We, we take failures. Uh, the only real failure in America is if you don't get up and try again. Isn't that our, kind of our motto? But when it comes to moral and spiritual failure, boy, that's another matter, isn't it? Not so easy. Moral and, and, and spiritual failure takes a toll on us like nothing else. In fact, many of us never fully recover from moral and spiritual failure. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to understand and really know what God's grace is. It's important for us to look at God's Word and get His perspective on failure. So today we're going we're gonna to study the topic of failure and God's grace. We're going to look at the story of a woman who was looking for some grace and mercy in her life. She was looking for something to cover her failure and her sin. And I think as we enter into the text and we look at God's Word and observe how this woman interacted with Jesus and we see how this woman handled it and how, what Christ said to her, I think we might find something of grace and mercy that we've all been looking for in this body for a long, long time. So if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. That's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John's fourth, fourth book in the New Testament. Chapter 8. You got it? Okay. Let me kind of read it for you, and then we'll get a setting here. But Jesus departed to the Mount of Olives. Then at dawn, he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And having sat down, he began teaching them. But the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman having been taken in adultery. And having set her in the middle of them, they said to him, Teacher, uh, we found this woman in the very act committing adultery. Now, in our laws, Moses commanded that she be stoned. Therefore, what do you say? See, they were using that question as a way to trap him. They wanted to have a basis of accusing him, so they used that question. Now, there were hundreds of people that Jesus was teaching, and in order to kind of uh, get a feel for it, I want you to try to place yourself in that situation. Here we are. There's a big open circle here. Jesus is teaching us. We're sitting at his feet. We're enraptured by every word that he says. Can you kind of see it? We're hanging on everything he has to say. We're enjoying it. And then we hear this commotion behind us. And, and we look over our shoulders and we see the leading religious leaders of the day. And, and they're, they're back there making a ruckus and 
we see that they've got somebody and they're dragging them through the group. We look closer and we finally see it's a woman. She's barely dressed, hair all frazzled, and they drag her through the crowd right to the center of activity and they throw her on the ground. Then they make her stand up. Can you see her? Eyes down, lips tight, jaw clenched. No need to look up. Eyes of condemnation all around her. And they said, what are you going to do, Jesus? And the scripture tells us that he stooped down at that time. And he began to write in the dirt with his finger. And you know, for centuries, uh, Bible scholars and theologians have wondered, what was he writing? Well, recent archaeological discoveries, they think they've actually found that piece of ground that Jesus wrote on. And the, the sand and the dirt kind of hardened, kind of fossilized, and they got it. And we now know what he actually wrote. You know what it was? You know what it was? WWJD. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. But that was the question of the moment. They wanted to know, what will you do, Jesus? Now, we don't really know what, what he wrote. But it's kind of fun to speculate. You know what I mean? You know, some say that uh, maybe he bent down and he began to write... Um, some of the other sins of the men in, uh, that were standing there. And he, he knew their hearts. He knew the sins in their life. So he wrote down, how about this one? And then he would point an arrow toward the other and he'd go, woof. Or, or maybe he was writing down the Ten Commandments and uh, like he did on Mount Sinai with Moses. And he's writing down the Ten Commandments in a way to kind of say to the religious leaders, no need to school me on the law, gentlemen. I wrote it. Or maybe he wrote down um, Exodus 23.1. Don't lend yourself to a wicked man for a malicious witness. Now, all the religious leaders at that time are looking at him, asking him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? You see, at the time... He was in a little bit of a dilemma there. They tried to put him in this box. Because the law of God said, if he didn't agree with them about the woman's adultery and stone her, he's in contradiction to God's law. However, if he said, yeah, get a rock, stone her, he would be in contradiction to the Roman law. Because at the time in a Roman province, the only people that had the right to stone someone was Romans. So he couldn't do either. And as he stooped there on the ground, one of the things we do know that he did, he said, I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm, especially when it involves the assault on the dignity of another human being. And can you imagine that woman standing there, alone, in the center of hundreds of people? God was, uh, Jesus was grieved that these religious leaders would try to use the law manipulate it for their purposes, especially at the expense of this woman. She had already sinned. But they had stones in their hands. And I can tell you guys, 
We all got stones, don't we? You got stones? I got stones. Some of us carry them out in the open. Some of us carry them in our purses. Some of us carry them in our, in our front pockets. Some carry them in our back pockets. But we all got stones. And I think what the text is telling us here is trying to let us know is maybe Jesus is saying, this ain't your thing. Uh, this is not your way. This is not what I want you to do. Uh, maybe he's asking us in this passage that maybe we should put our stones down. And, you know, that's what he's about to tell these guys uh, when, he, when he stands up. But, but before we get too far along and point too many fingers at these men who were judging and condemning that woman for their own personal reason, they got their own agenda, before we point too many fingers at them, we need to realize we're like that too. I mean, isn't there times when you want to say, golly, I just want to tell that brother I don't like what he's doing. You ever feel like that? I've got to be honest with you about something real quick. I've got this incredible gift that I've honed it down to a fine, fine science. I can see your sins so clear and with such certainty and clarity of mind, but for some reason I can't see mine. You find yourself like that too? Well, that's how they were with this woman. They could see her sins, but they were blinded to their own. So Jesus is stooped down, and he decides to stand up. They kept asking over and over, what are you going to do, Jesus? So he stood up and he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Then it got real quiet. (laughs) It got real quiet. Uh, you could, and then he stooped back down. And the scripture says they began to drop their stones and depart one at a time. Now, it's interesting. I was reading this passage this weekend. Now, Pastor Todd told me, he said, you know, Paul, about 99% of the Bible that we, uh, that we have isn't even written. I mean, there was so much written it could fill rooms. So the stuff we have is the important stuff. So we should really pay attention to it because uh, we got the, the, the best of the best. So I read that passage which says, the old men left first. I thought, hmm, I, I wonder why John put that in there. Well, why would he put the older men departed first? And then I thought to myself, eh, that kind of makes sense. And I found as I get older, uh, I, I, and I've had enough opportunity to screw things up, and I've had enough opportunity to sin in my life that... I begin to give some people some slack because just age alone, right? I mean, when you've been around the sun as many times as me, I, I, I've, I've had a lot of time to screw things up. So we're more considerate of others. Now, young people, and, and I'll let you define what that is, young people, of course, they know everything. So they hold on to their stones a little longer, right? And I think that's what uh, just age alone uh, showed them that they dropped their stones and they begin to depart. Now, Jesus stood back up, and as they all left, there was just two people there, him and this woman. Can you imagine that? What do you think she was thinking? Guilt, shame. Uh, She's probably puzzled, what's this teacher going to tell me to do? And the scripture says, he looked at her and said, where are your accusers, woman? And he says, they're not here. 
Neither do I accuse you. Now, can you imagine that? The God of the universe in his grace and mercy said, neither do I accuse you. Now, that didn't mean he, he agreed with her. and That doesn't mean that he said it's okay to have adulterers. He knows better than that. She knows better than that. We know better than that. Adultery damages people. Adultery damages children. It's bad. We know that. Right? So he wasn't, he wasn't absolving her of that. He was, uh, in fact, he may very well have said, I'm going to die on the cross for you. So there's mercy and grace that God gives us. Now, I think it points out something that says, here she stands representing any one of us. We're all like that. We've all done stuff. You've got stuff in your life. Now, you may say, hey, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, okay, all right. But you've got your sin, right? Now, maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it is. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's malice. Maybe it's gossip. Uh, maybe it's just simply lying and stealing. But whatever it is, you've got your stuff, don't you? You got it. I got it. And I think Christ was telling us, the text tells us, that woman represents any one of us. We need God's grace and mercy in our lives. Now, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those people who have crossed that line of faith that have said, I'm going to believe Christ died for my sins. And, and i got good news for you guys. If you've been carrying around a sack and a, a, a load of guilt and shame and, and you just can't seem to get it behind you, with the authority of the power of, this, of the Word of God and from the very mouth of Jesus, let me tell you something. He doesn't hold it against you anymore. You're forgiven. See, when you come to know Christ as your Savior... You stop asking him into your life and what you say now is, I believe I just need forgiveness. We need confession. There is a noted author in the turn of the century. His name is G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he was well thought of and the London Times uh, wrote a questionnaire out. They were asking uh, notable men and women this question. What is wrong with the world? Uh, we are going to hell in a handcart. Can you give us your opinion of what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote back. He said, uh, in response to your question of what's wrong with the world, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. That's it, guys. The problems with the world today is I am and you are. We have all failed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. God doesn't want us to carry around that sack of guilt and shame because it takes away from the very purpose and life that God intended for us. See, nobody loves this better than Satan. Uh, the unconfessed guilt is what takes away the power of the life that God and that we were created for. I want you to turn real quick, if you will, to the book of Micah, uh, seventh chapter of Micah. Micah, 7th chapter. Minor prophet in the Old Testament. Some of you that are maybe struggling to find Micah, uh, it's right before the book of Nahum, if that'll help. <laughs> Micah, chapter 7. Now, this was written to Israel. But I believe God's Word is more than a history book. 
So I don't, I don't want you sending me notes saying, hey, you took this out of context. I know this was directed toward Israel. But I think God's word is alive and its principles and its truths apply to us. Let's read this together. But, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. <laughs> Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness... The Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out of the light and I will see his righteousness. Isn't that great? So if you know the Lord is your Savior, quit carrying that guilt around. Because Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Uh, He doesn't condemn us. He's not embarrassed about us. He doesn't look at us as a bunch of losing failures who who just can't do things right. He holds us in great worth. You have great worth to God. So lay down that guilt. You don't have to carry it anymore. And give grace and mercy to one another. Now, remember I said there's two kind of people. Those are on the side of faith and... There's another kind of folks that haven't yet made their mind up about crossing that line of faith. And the size of congregation we got here, there's probably some people in here like that. I, I want to be honest and truthful with you. Your sins and your faults are being held against you. I'm sorry to tell you that. They are. The good news is, God's got His hand reached out to you and any time that you're ready to say, God, I can't do it anymore. Uh, I've tried. Some of you have tried religion. Some of you have tried charity work. Some of you have given money. Some of you have even tried to pray and said, Lord, change me. Some of you made lots of New Year's resolutions. Those that haven't crossed that line of faith, you've tried that. How's that working out for you? Not too good, is it? You know in your heart that... You need something greater than yourself. You need a power that's greater to get you past that, don't you? Maybe God is telling you that today. Maybe God is, is, is saying, you know what? Uh, it's time for me to reach out to God. Now listen, sin is not something that's covered easily. See, God paid a great price for it. It's free, but it cost a lot. Because God is very son. And while it's free, it's not cheap. And so God may be calling out to you today that maybe you want to get this guilt and sin out of your life. If you're a Christian, all you've got to do and you know the Lord, just confess your sins and get back into fellowship. I'm not saying that there's not damage in your life from sin. There will be. There's consequences. But you don't have to live that life anymore. You have infinite worth. If you're not of faith and you haven't crossed that line, you're in trouble. You need to come before God and that's the only thing that's going to rescue you. You you know as well as I do. It's not good works. Good works are important, but they're not everything. What's important? We're created for good works and for the glory of God. But without crossing that line of faith, your good works are like filthy rags. So if you... uh, feel like the Lord might be talking to you in that. Let me put some words together for you, and if you agree with them, uh, you'll be introduced to the Lord. Okay? Why don't we all stand up and
close our eyes, bow our heads. And uh, as I say these words, if you agree with them, uh, just pray, pray them with me and say uh, that you agree, Lord. You might say something like this. Almighty God, you know my heart and you know what holds me back and what keeps me from you. And you know my past. You know my failures, my sin. And I'm not going to pretend anymore because this stuff is real and I admit it. But I'm so tired. So tired of trying to carry this around, of being disconnected from you, my Creator. I give all that up. And I embrace Jesus and Jesus alone as my Savior for sin, as my forgiver, as for my deliverer. From my past and my failures, I receive the mercy and the grace that comes from you alone. Now, give me the power and the courage to step from this moment on, to leave all that behind me, and enjoy the peace and the joy that comes with the life filled with you. If you've prayed something like that, I want you to know there is now no condemnation for them that belong to Christ. So what shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall hardship, trouble, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword? No. I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither the present nor the future, neither angels nor demons nor any powers, neither heights nor depths or anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. For as Christ and Jesus is alone. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You are dismissed.